Thank you so much for tuning in to the Power Up Your Sales podcast. This is episode three of a three-part series featuring Dr. Jerome Gafford. Dr. Gafford is a clinical assistant professor of marketing in the Center for Professional Sales at the University of Texas at Dallas, or just call him the sales doctor. So switching gears a little bit, uh, I want to talk about goals for a minute um, because uh, it seems to to be like KPIs and metrics and quotas and targets uh, seems to be like the buzzwords are everywhere. And um, it seems to be this um, philosophy, I guess, that, that goal setting as a salesperson is incredibly important. Um, what's your take on that? Do you how important do you think it is for an individual salesperson to set goals for themselves? And what's your advice for them for trying to figure out um, why they want to get up each day and be in sales? Right. Uh, yeah, I think goal setting is very important if it's done for the right reasons. I, I don't think quota should be a goal. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because if you if you if, you, if somebody sets their goal as their quota, then once they hit that number, oftentimes the, the brain says, okay, you met this, you met this metric. We don't need to work anymore. And right. so I, I remember, you know, stories of salespeople in the field, you know, they might, you know, if their quota was $150,000 a month and they hit two sales in the first week that got them 150 grand, you didn't hear from them for the rest of the month. And and that's why I don't, I don't like using quota as a goal. Now you can certainly set, you can set, you know, your company numbers and what the projections are for the future, and back those numbers back into quota uh, for the reps. But I think goals, goals need to be set on something more than just a financial number. I think if an individual is going to set up a, a, a goal system that, that they want to meet, that that goal needs to be something that they want to achieve for themselves and, and for their families and for their business. And, and it's not about making the money. The, the money is just kind of the, the, the part that comes along with, with conducting the activities that you must do to meet your goal. And you certainly want to have those written down, of course. Everybody here has heard about different goal-setting strategies, smart strategies, and all these kind of things. And, and they're all great to have. You know, whichever one works for you individually is the one I would certainly recommend uh, that a person uses. But if, you know, if, if you're, it's one thing to say, okay, I've got a goal of making $100,000 this year. And, and, and while that sounds nice, that's not really a goal that is going to keep you focused to, for the entire year, I don't believe. I, I believe that if you set that goal up and you say, okay, uh, I, would like to, I would like to grow my business and my income to the point where my spouse doesn't have to work anymore if, if he or she doesn't want to. And then you back that back into the, to the number that it would take for you to, to retire your spouse, so to speak. That, that is a goal that has a, a bigger reason, a bigger why, as we call it, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to work towards. And then that way, every day when you get up and, and you repeat that to yourself or, or you write it on something and hang it on the wall or put it on the mirror of your vehicle, whatever, whatever you need to do to remind yourself of that, then, then that goal becomes something that's real. And, and by having that why spelled out there exactly what, what it is you want to accomplish, 
it's much easier than to back that down in, into all the steps that are going to be required and the amount of activity you have to be focused on daily, weekly, monthly uh, to make that happen. So ha having that specific why, I think, is one of the biggest things that most people miss out on uh, when they're setting goals. Uh, if you don't have a, a big enough why that makes you want to strive for that on an ongoing basis, then chances are uh, you, you won't hit that goal. You, you may hit part of what you want to hit from a number standpoint, but hitting the real goal is the one that um, that really makes the most sense and really motivates people to do uh, to do what they have to do to be successful. I know you know we talk about quotes from famous people a lot, and and one of my favorites, of course, was Zig Ziglar. I, I got to hear him speak a number of times, and and uh, he always you know, always mentioned you know, that that uh, when he talked about motivation, that people said, well, Zig, motivation isn't everything, and and uh, he said, it's not the most important thing in the world. He said, uh, and it doesn't last very long. And Ziegler always said, well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend some of it every day. <laughs> so you know, when you think about that, the motivation piece has to come from within. And there's all kinds of things people can do to, to get motivated to achieve their goals. Uh, but it, but, it, but that's the, the, the thing you want to focus on is, you know, what is it about the goal that makes you want to achieve the goal? And that's why, I, that's why I don't like using, you know, quotas and things of that type. And I learned that the hard way as a sales manager years ago. You know, I, I thought that everybody that worked in sales would be motivated by money. And so every contest I put together has some kind of financial gain attached to it. You know, if you, if you do 10% this month over the, what you did the same month last year, you know, there's a $500 bonus in it for you. And I'd have a sales team of 60, 70 people. I'd have two or three people that go out there and bust it and make that happen. And that just that blew me away when... You know, why, why isn't everybody going out there? There's $500 on the table. And then I started to talk to people and find out you know, what, what their motivations were and found out that some people weren't motivated by the money. You know, they, they were motivated by being able to take their spouse on a, on a weekend getaway somewhere on the beach. And so I changed all of my competition uh, structures and I, and I started building them more in a um, in kind of a, a, a situation where if, if people wanted to if they had a certain motivation, I tried to build a contest that allowed them to achieve that motivation. When I did that, I went from having four or five people a month, you know, striving to hit goal to having, you know, 30, 40 people a month hitting goal. And so that, you know, if you, if you can figure out what that motivation factor is for your people, and that gets back into that coaching versus managing thing. You're working now with people to help them understand what, what their goal is, what their why is, and then it's easier to coach them on the activity that they need to to conduct in order to reach that goal. That's interesting. I, I remember um, that fascinates me, the the difference between a dollar amount and something that you can really uh, feel in your heart. And uh, some people are naturally very competitive too. And I remember uh, having a sales contest one time and um, I forget what the prize was. Um, but we had a few salespeople who were just really highly competitive and they said they would have busted their tails for a $10 trophy. They just wanted to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. T-shirts, trophies. Yeah. It's amazing what people will go kill for. That's for sure. Yes. And at much less cost to the organization than a trip to the beach or, you know, a cash prize. So it was just been a, a really interesting area of study. <laughs> so, um, switching gears again, I know you have a, a big marketing background. So, um, and I, I've had conversations, especially more recently, 
uh, with people. And, and from my perspective, they seem to confuse or blur the lines between sales and marketing. And I've had um, instances where maybe the salesperson or sales team spends a lot of time crafting email messages and sending email blasts out to lists um, or, or where there's an expectation that marketing will do a certain amount of the pre-qualifying and phone calls at the beginning. And I have in my mind where I think the line is between sales and marketing and, and what the, the split should be and when it's time to defer to the other one. But, but what's your opinion on that? Where do you draw the line from uh, marketing to sales and vice versa. And that's an interesting uh, discussion. Again, a lot of that is going on even more so in, in, in the environment right now. But I think, you know, f from a marketing standpoint, and, and, and if anytime we teach a marketing class, any, any marketing text that's, that's used in, in higher education today, uh, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the, either the four P's of marketing. Some people, some companies call it, uh, and you got two P's, uh, Instead of four P's, you got, you know, product, price, promotion, and place. Uh, now they call it two P's, a C and a D. You've got product, price, you've got uh, communication, and then distribution because the, the days of having to go to a physical location and buy a product are, are you know, pretty much 50-50 now. And right. communication, where, where we used to talk about promotion, and sales was always considered as part of the promotion piece, is now looked at as more communication. Uh, because it, it is more focused on a two-way communication between the company and, and the customer. Uh, so I, I think when we, when we look at the differentiation between the two, that there certainly needs to be a, a lot of, of collaboration. You know, the, the message that marketing is creating certainly needs to be one that, that the sales and, uh, component is, is driving out to the customer. But at the same time, the salespeople are, are seeing the customers in real time daily. And, and they're a tremendous source of feedback that they can bring back into the organization and so that the marketing people can actually improve and, and develop different messages based on what customer needs are. I know for a long time in the, um, uh, in the marketing world, they, the marketing teams were challenged with coming up with some sort of a marketing campaign. Uh, they would then introduce those campaigns in a number of environments. There may be television commercials, email blasts, as you mentioned, uh, maybe online blasts of information, whether it be through a website or, or you know, ads on different social media, whatever that may be. And, and the goal of all of these outbound messages was to draw inbound leads back into the company, whether that be through an answer an email or, or a text response or a, an 800 number from a TV commercial, whatever that may be. They were drawing in these numbers of, of inbound responses that they would then farm out to the sales team for to making the follow-ups with. The some of the challenges that we saw when we had that type of a marketing sales environment was that the marketing people, the, the rubric that they were challenged with meeting was they had to generate X number of leads on a monthly basis off of the different campaigns that they ran. Right. And so that their goal, you know, if 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 their market if their target was three thousand or five thousand leads a month, then they were going to do everything they could from a from a communication standpoint to bring in 5,000 leads that they could then hand over to the sales team. The, the downside to that was is marketing was not challenged with managing the quality of those leads. Mm. Are the you know is this a prospect that can actually buy our product, our service? And do they have the money? Do they have the desire for the product? Do they have the ability to make the decision? So then right. the sales team has to go in. And, 
and, and then start to qualify these leads. And so out of 5,000, you might end up with 10% of them that are actually qualified leads. So there's a difference there. And there was oftentimes animosity built on either side of that, that equation. We're starting to see, I think in the last couple of years, I've started to see more of this collaboration piece between marketing and sales. And I'm happy to see that there, we've even seen some, uh, a third leg of the stool coming into play with customer service. Uh, if, if, if everybody's kind of rowing in the same boat, we're, we're all trying to do what we can to take care of our existing customers, uh, to generate additional business off of existing customers, as well as to generate new business off of new customers. And if, and if the customer's interaction with all three of these departments is a positive one, then they are certainly going to want to stay around and do business with our company. Unfortunately, those three legs of that stool have always been a little bit wobbly. And so we're, we're starting to see some of that tighten up now. And I'm glad to see that because that will have a big impact on, uh, on how our customers view our company going forward. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So one, one, uh, two final questions, really. Um, okay. If you had just one um, foundational piece of advice that you could share with sales leaders, whether it's managers, regional VPs, et cetera, um, managing in this time um, and with with the, the salespeople that they have, um, one piece of advice that you think could be most helpful for them right now? Most helpful for the leadership team. I, I would say that, of course, the communication, we, we talked about that already, but certainly having communication between your uh, your frontline sales team, you know, your mid-level people, all the way up and down, and, and try not to make it, I know not all organizations work well from a, from a bottom-up mindset, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't want it to be too heavy the other way. If there are, the, the, there's tremendous amount of feedback that can come from the sales force that you can move up through the organization. Um, we see a lot of, 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 of top-down environments where, you know, I think the last time I looked at the technology stack for sales, there were some seven or 8,000 different technology tools that are available right now for companies to use in, in the selling world. And, wow. and a top-down mindset typically tries to force a lot of technology tools into the, to the, to the sales force to, um, because they, they, they looked at a, a demonstration, you know, th- this tool can drive your sales revenue by X number of percentage, whatever that may be. And there are certainly some great tools out there to do that with. Um, the, the thing we have to be careful about, I think, with a lot of sales organizations is if we try to push too much of that stuff into the uh, into the hands of the sales team, um, they will tend to start, uh, they will start identifying the, the two or three tools that they want to use, and that may not fit into the model that the, that the upper management people have wanted to build. Um, at, at the same time, the sales teams need to be aware that things are changing and, and the tools can benefit them in a sales role. I don't think the tools can sell for us, but they can certainly benefit us maybe in some efficiencies of scale and things of that type. But it's just a matter of understanding how those pieces work and, and you know, everything from a CRM tool to a you know, lead identification. We're even seeing some things in the AI world that can help us identify uh, things like personality and behavior traits based on conversations and email threads and those kind of things. So there's some really interesting things that happen out there. Um, you know, but the bottom line is, you know, the, the, the sales team has got to be in front of people. They've got to be uh, generating the leads. They've got to be talking to people about solving issues 
and developing that communication channel. So I think I think communication up and down in the organization, as well as throughout the uh, all the departments that we mentioned, and certainly with our customers, it has to be more of a collaborative environment. Um, and for uh, for more complex selling environments, that's even more so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to see typically in a complex selling environment, you're not going to see a, a one visit close, and that's okay. Uh, but if we if we build that collaboration with our customer and with our team and with our organization, then the, the trust factor goes up tremendously. So that would be my my one word, I guess, of advice would be uh, communication among all, all uh, stakeholders. Make sure that everybody understands you know, what the goals and the and the plans for the organization are, as as well as the goals and the plans for the, our customers as well. Okay, so that's the sales management side. Um, for salespeople, the, the ones I've been talking to most recently find themselves, especially right now, and maybe it's getting a little bit better um, as we're kind of adapting to this um, COVID situation, realizing it's going to stick around for a while, but especially cert, um, early on, and, and some people are, are still experiencing this, um, salespeople are getting really frustrated with um, no matter how much prospecting they're doing, um, they're reaching buyer after buyer after buyer who is not in a position to make a decision. Either they're uncomfortable uh, making any com- kind of commitment for, for good reason. Um, what is your advice to salespeople right now? Um, you know, do they keep prospecting? Do they go on vacation for a month or so and wait for things to come back? What's, what's your best advice for them right now? Well, of course, you know, the, they certainly have any of those options that they want to choose. The, the, uh, the thing I always tell my students is, you, you, as human beings, you have the ability to make whatever choices and decisions you want to make. The problem that most people have is they're not willing to accept the consequences that come <laughs> with those decisions. So I, um, I, I talk about a, um, um, I, I know trigonometry made my head hurt when I was in school. And so I hate to bring it up here, but it's, uh, if you remember studying sine waves in, in algebra and trigonometry in school, uh, there are, there are three things that, that we talk about in, in the, in this prospecting world. And, and the first one, if you, if you start off your prospecting activity and, and, and start to ramp that up, you know, you start off with the first part of the sine wave that goes up. And then if you move over a certain time, maybe a week or so on the timeline, as you're prospecting, then the number of sales calls start to go up, okay? Mm-hmm. And then you go out another couple of weeks on that timeline, and as you're prospecting more, your sales calls are going more, uh, you're having more meetings, and you're starting to close more business. So that means your revenue is going up. The problem that happens here when we're looking at these, at these three sine waves going up is when the revenue and the income starts to get high, most salespeople tend to start dropping off on their prospecting activity. Right. And if they start to drop off on that prospecting activity, then the number of sales calls start to go down and the number of closed pieces of business and, and income start to go down. And so we get in this vicious cycle that's delayed about two weeks on each one of those. And and so if if if, if I'm a salesperson, if I'm coaching a salesperson, I'm going to let tell them that the prospecting piece of what they do is by far one of the most important things they can do, and they must do that on a consistent basis. Um, and and by that I mean if 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 you get into these up and down swings, then it has a big impact on everything else that you're doing. Yes, times are challenging right now. We have to understand uh, what kind of things are going on in the mind of of our customers. 
I think one thing salespeople need to focus on as well is in this time frame, this is a great opportunity for us as salespeople to, to be willing to try something new. Okay. And by that, I don't mean going off the reservation, so to speak, but, <laughs> but if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're trying something new, you know, if you're, if you've been doing something that's not working, you know, don't be afraid to change what you're doing. You know, if, if you're, if you have a certain sequence or a cadence that you're using for your phone calls, if it's not been successful, uh, you know, don't, don't be afraid to change things up because right now is the perfect time to do that. Uh, if, if you're having conversations with people that you discover are not the, um, the ultimate decision maker, uh, you know, can, don't, don't just cut that conversation off. Go ahead and continue building a, re a relationship with that person because they will help get you into who you need to speak with. The other thing is, as, as salespeople, I think one of the things we're going to have to do as salespeople going forward especially going through this and coming out of this situation is we're going to have to be great at, at leading our customers. And I don't, I don't mean by being pushy or, or, or um, you know, providing false hope, but we're going to have to start building in the mindset of the consumer that there is, um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and if they wait until this is over before they start to do things, they're going to be behind the curve. And so we, we need to we need to have conversations with our customers about, you know, what what do we need to do now to be ready when this thing starts to loosen up and we're we're moving back towards the normal. And like I said, if you wait too long to start that process, then everybody else is going to be light years ahead of us. So we as salespeople, we need to be we, we need to continue to develop that trust and that relationship and and collaborate with our customers and find out, you know, what, what is, you know, ask them the question, tell, tell me what's going on in your mind right now. What are you thinking about? You know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of feedback are you hearing from your team and, you know, from your customers and what, what can we do uh, to help to rectify that? And I think if you have those kind of questions, those kind of conversations with your customers, then, that you're going to you're going to be able to kind of break through the norm because I don't think many salespeople I think a lot of salespeople today are are calling people on the phone or they're using auto dollars and these types of tools, and and they they get the person on the phone and they just start off talking about the product right out of the chute, and if I think you need to focus on either getting back to that relationship if it's somebody you've worked with in the past, or if you're dealing with somebody new, you know just just find out where they are right now, and if we can find out where they are right now, then it's easier for us. To, to figure out the best way or the best solution for them to get to from where they are now to where they want to be in the near future. Excellent. That's excellent advice. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest today, Dr. Gafford. We really appreciate it and hope to talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Susie. Have a great yep. day. That's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Gafford, see his website at jeromegafford.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-E-G-A-F-F-O-R-D.com.